0: Alright, we're going to be in the book of 1 John this morning, continuing on in our series Real versus Fake. In the book of 1 John is where we're going to be. You guys can open up there, picking up right where we left off last week. We spent a couple of weeks here uh, kind of establishing something of a background or a foundation to what we've been doing in this series, and uh, as we pick up right where we were, we uh, looked last week at this very churchy word of fellowship. And we talked about how that word fellowship has a lot of different ways it can be translated a lot of different ways that uh, it, gets, it gets translated in our uh, in our New Testament. One of those ways is through this idea of of communion. And we, and we compared the idea of union with communion, something that we'll continue to kind of tease out this week and next week uh, as well. And what we said is that the word union talks about something that's kind of like a legal status. It is True at all times, regardless of circumstances. So I can be in another country, but my marital union to my wife, Emily, wouldn't change. So even if I am uh, traveling overseas, even though I am not with her physically, even though I'm not talking to her, we have a union that does not change at all. That was the word uh, union. But communion communicates something different. And what that means is it has nothing to do with a legal status that, that, that binds us. It has to do with, a, with an, an intimacy and a, and a connection um, that, that is not built upon anything binding. So what we talked about is how I would have communion if I were to go to Neyland Stadium and, and watch Tennessee win a football game. If I were to go there and watch that game, I would have communion with... 102,000 other people who are all cheering for Tennessee, singing the same song, and have the same goal in mind. That is communion, not legally bound to them in any way. I could walk away at any point. I could could be apart from them, and then that communion would be broken, and there would be no union. So there's this idea of union and communion. These are the, the two things, and what John has in mind when he talks about fellowship is the second one, at least for now. Next week, we're going to get to this idea of union. But today we're going to continue this idea of communion this intimate fellowship based on a shared experience and a shared uh, goal if you will a, a shared end and that's what what, uh, what John is going to put to point us to uh, and so we're going to keep diving into this and pushing this idea a little bit more so we'll pick up here in 1 John and there are there are moments being a dad I've've got, got two kids now one in fourth grade one in seventh grade and what that means as your kids grow up, there's a lot of not so great parts about your kids growing up, but there's some pretty good parts, and one of those things that's really good is as your kids grow up, you get to introduce them to movies and, and television shows that were a part of you, right? That, that for their entire life, you have been quoting to them, and they've had no idea, uh, so you've been, able, you've been saying things and, and you would, they would do something and you would, you would say something to them and they would just look at you like you're weird and you're like, that's funny. And you don't know it. But I promise you, what I just said was, was a funny line. So you, you can quote back to and, and it and it could be all kinds of different things. But one of the, the cool things is whenever they get a little bit older, you can let them watch some of those movies and, and they can look at you. Of course, one of the most popular lines is Darth Vader's classic line. You don't know the power of the dark side. Delivered here in this scene so well. And it's a, a line that's delivered actually a couple of different times throughout, uh, throughout the series. But, but most memorably here at the, at the end of The Empire Strikes Back. And it's this, uh, this theme that plays out between, uh, or throughout all the movies. Obviously, if you're a Star Wars fan, even if you don't know anything about, the, about Star Wars, you've probably heard about the light side and the dark side of the Force. And that's what this is, what, the, what the whole, all of these movies are talking about is pulling out the, the, different, the different pieces of the light side and the dark side. So the, the idea is that the force is just this kind of like nebulous thing that's out there. And the good guys, the Jedi, use the force for good and for other people and to help others. But the, the, the bad guys, they use it all for, uh, for themselves to gain selfish power to do evil with it. So they take the force and they use it as they, as they see fit. The good guys to help others, the bad guys only to help uh, them themselves. And uh, Growing up, I was always a dark side guy. I don't know if that makes you feel uncomfortable about your pastor or not, but I was always a dark side guy, in part because I thought Luke was a pansy. So I... I I know that's heresy to some of you guys, but you, Darth Vader's just cooler. He's just, as a kid, you look at him and you're like, that guy's really cool. He does some really cool things. He can do a, a, a lot more things. So I was a dark side uh, guy, and uh, it turns out my son is a lot like that too. And I remember as we were watching those movies, uh, he started talking about how he liked the, 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 the he liked Vader, he liked Darth Maul, he liked Kylo Ren, he liked all the, the dark side of my my wife would look at me, and she would be like, is that okay? Are, can we allow him to do that? Because I, this makes me a little nervous. I'm like, no, this is the way Star Wars is. The bad guys are cooler. That's just that's how it is. It's totally okay to let him like the bad guys. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a problem. Um, they're just more compelling and easier to cheer for. Uh, at least that's my opinion. Um, but it's this classic battle of, of good versus evil that kind of makes star wars such a, a universal appeal to so many people um but but part of the problem with that is that, that star wars becomes such a a force in pop culture that it can be hard now ha- hang with me here because i think you're going to see this it can be hard to see where star wars ends and if you're in church on sunday the bible begins It can be really hard to distinguish to to, to say those because I I dare say that if you ask many, if not most, Christians, it would be hard for them to describe the role of the Holy Spirit in something different than the way the Force works in Star Wars. They just kind of compare those two things and the way we talk about the Force is the same way we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about how you should use the force and how the spirit is strong with this one, or the force is strong with this one, and how you can uh, you can sense it more and may the may the force be with you, may the spirit be with you, and you talk about it in the same kind of terms, and you kind of wonder like do you do you know you 're talking about a movie and you 're not talking about the bible do you are you picking up on those two things so that can happen uh, a lot. The reality is people know their Star Wars much better than they know their Bibles. Um, but it can also, in fact, uh, it, it can impact the way that we, we read the Bible too without you even, even knowing it. So uh, the, what I'm driving at with this whole thing, I promise you I'm getting to a point with this. What I'm driving at is this light side, dark side kind of thing in Star Wars movies. This idea of the light and the dark, they are presented in these movies as essentially equal. Now, spoiler alert, the good guys win. They always do. But it's essentially two equal opposing forces. Separated by their motives, but the light side and the dark side, both with this kind of give and take, back and forth, each kind of exchanging who has the upper hand throughout all the movies. And what can happen if we're not careful is this is how we can start to read the Bible. This doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be Star Wars either. You can think about any movie that's good versus evil. The whole, the whole point in building tension in the plot is that you make good versus evil look like they are equals, and then you make them duke it out until you have a little bit of suspense to figure out who's going to win, the good guy or the bad guy. But that's a dangerous way for us to import that into the Bible. And I think most of us do it without even knowing it. Because the reality is the light side and the dark side, the good and the bad are not equals in the Bible. These are not two equal and opposing forces. And I think what John is going to try to do for us is he's going to tease that out for us just a little bit and teach us a little bit about who God is this morning. So let's look in 1 John Chapter one, verse five. We're just going to read verse five, and that'll be the focus for most of the morning, and then we'll pick up a little bit more uh, toward the end. But verse five: This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now that's a pretty popular verse right there. The whole it's, it, it, it has everything that we want in a in a good. In a good verse, it's memorable. We like those kind of short, tidy phrases that we can kind of tuck away in our minds and we can say, this is what God is. It goes right up there with God is love. So we say God is light, God is love. That's coming later in, in, uh, in 1 John. We like those God is phrases because we feel like the, the writer is kind of boiling things down to us in the most simple of terms. He's stripping away all the complicated theological language and he's pulling massive amounts of theology into the fewest words possible. So whenever he uses this phrase, God is light, he's not just throwing it all out there saying, look, even you can understand this. What he's saying is, God is light and that means so, so much. And you can spend a long time unpacking all the ways that that applies. There's no way that we will get anywhere close to to unpacking all the way that that applies to us this morning. But John here, when he says God is light, is not trying to be simple. He's trying to use simple language to explain something very profound and very complex. So if we read this, if we read this little passage like a Star Wars script, then what we read is something good about one of our heroes here. This is like we're talking about Luke. He's supposed to be the good guy. He's all light, no darkness. And the whole question in those Star Wars movies is, okay, Luke seems like he's all light, but is he really? Is there some darkness in him that can be teased out? And, and so what we, what we do is we, we read this and we say, all right, God is... Light, so he is the good guy in our story. But John isn't trying to convey a hero's description here. He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to wake us up, as it were. You see, we like to read this sentence, God is light, like a warm and fuzzy. Like he would make a great little thing on a, on a sweatshirt. You know, you got like a, a little—you uh, got a black sweatshirt. You put a little light bulb in it, and you just put that verse at the bottom: "God is light," and maybe it glows in the dark. And it's like, oh, that's a cool shirt, man. I really like what that has to say. And after all, it's 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 scripture, so God is light, and we're good. It's a warm and and fuzzy there. And while there will be some warm and fuzzies to take away from this, that is not John's main point for us as he conveys it to us. John is wanting to communicate something to us here about who God is and he does so by giving us two statements one that is a simple declaration God is light and the other that is a clarifier of that declaration and in him there is no darkness at all now that's a statement we're familiar with if you've been around church at all you've heard this verse but it's kind of a weird statement on its surface I mean, who says someone is light? Now, you might say that somebody walks into a room and they light up the room. People have said that about me. If you walk into the room, you light up the room because you are just such a wonderful presence. But you don't say they are light. That that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't really translate well for us. And, And here John is tapping into some rich old testament imagery that i can't even begin to to fully uh tap into but uh or to to explain but it goes all the way back to the very opening words of scripture you can go back and look in genesis chapter one you can turn there if you want should show up on the screen here but the opening words of scripture god created the heavens and the earth and it was covered In darkness. Genesis chapter one one. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So this word darkness here is is a a word that is notoriously difficult to translate uh, in Hebrew because it it conveys so much more than just like turn the lights off and it's dark. The word darkness is also used in other places to to basically what we would translate or call chaos. So whenever it it talks about how there was darkness over the face of the deep, it was without form and void, there was darkness over the face of the deep, What what, what it's saying there is, it was chaotic. It was chaos. There was no light to distinguish things from anything. There was no way to subdue this formless thing that was there. That's why it was formless. And so this idea of darkness carries with it this idea of chaos. And in the ancient world, those two things would have been synonymous. To be in darkness was to be in turmoil. And so what does God do? He brings order to the chaos By giving light. And in that moment he separates light from dark. So John goes back and he taps into this imagery that starts there and then runs throughout the Old Testament. It's used to convey such things in the Old Testament as majesty, as hope, as holiness, as purity. And John is trying to convey all of those things to us packed into these three words. God is light. He's trying to convey even more than that. And I think it's in the clarifying statement that we can best see what he's getting at. So yes, he is positively saying God is holy. God is pure. God is majestic. God is worthy and lifted up. God is hope for us. All of that is is buried into that phrasing of God is light. But then we get to this this clarifying phrase, in him there is no darkness at all. And so while he tries to explain those things, holy, pure, majestic, he's not thinking of those things just on some big, massive, grand scale. Like if you've got in your picture this big white room and it's just really bright and just, just really bright white thing, it's not what John is necessarily trying to show us. He's trying to explain a little bit more about who God is by, by focusing in on the negative and he's beginning to show us a clearer picture of him and just as important he's showing us a clear picture of what god is not i want to read a few more verses here in first john six through ten but it's all to come back through verse five so if, if you if some things come up in here we'll get to those we'll explain those but i really just want to want to get, read these to kind of come back to verse five and this idea that god is light and in him there is no darkness at all so verse six So do you see what is, what is, uh, what is packed into all that? <clears throat> what is said several different times there in different ways. If we say we have not sinned, then we make him a liar. Now we're going to talk a lot more about the implications in that for us. But right now I just want to talk about the implications that has about God. Namely, that God is not like us. That he is not like us. He is totally different. You see, the way we tend to think about God is that He is the best of us. Take all of humanity, take all of the best characteristics of humanity, package that all in one person or in one being, and then you have a pretty good idea of what God is. That's the way we tend to think about who God is, but that is not how this works? God has no darkness in Him at all, but if we say that about ourselves, then we make God out to be a liar, and we make ourselves out to be a liar because we do have darkness. God is not just us, but better. He's different. He's totally. Different. I want you to look at this, this image up here on the screen. I want you to look at this. If you are a designer at all, then this might look uh, familiar to you. But if you're not familiar, not working on computers, you might say, what in the world is that thing? I don't understand what that is, right? So what this is, is this is a, a, a color picker for a, an, an Adobe thing. So if you're going to change the, the color of the background on a, on a slide, or if you're going to change the color of your text, you would go to this thing, and you can find all kinds of colors. And the way it works is if you're in the upper left-hand corner that's going to be white. And if you're in the bottom right-hand corner, that's going to be black. Everything in between there is some gradient of those things, right? So you can kind of see how that looks and where you would pick. If you want to have darker red, if you want to have lighter red, more of a pink, if you want to have a deep, deep red, you, you, you go down a little bit. You, you just kind of play a, around with it. And this is, how, uh, this is how you find your colors and you pick your colors when you're uh, designing something. Now I want you to imagine that this picture here that that cube this right there that square is kind of a visual representation of you and your sin. And then I would ask you put yourself on that somewhere. Where are you? Are you, are you more on the red? Are you more down in the in the black? Are you are you kind of over here to the white cuz you're not really that bad? Like you can think of somebody that's further over here on this side than you are, right? You, you can think of somebody that's, that's further on the dark and the black and the dark, dark red than you are. You, you're kind of somewhere in the middle with a little bit of white because you're not all bad, right? That's the way we tend to conceive of ourselves as somewhere in that kind of continuum of colors. We're somewhere in there. Now, everybody, depending on your view of yourself, you would put yourself in different places. We're somewhere in there. And then what we would do is, if I asked you to say, now where is God at on this scale? Well, then what we would say is, well, obviously he's in the far upper left-hand corner, because that is going to be pure white up there. That is going to be absolute white, not going to have any of the red, it's not going to have any of the blacks in it, it'll be all the way up there in that corner, that's where white will be. But this is where we go wrong. You see, we think that God is on the same scale as us, that he's like us, just way better. You know, nobody else is going to be that far to the left, just God, he's the only one that's there, but essentially he's he's the same, he's just, he's like us. And then maybe, just maybe, if we try hard enough, we can move ourselves from over here to over here. You know, if we work hard enough, if we discipline ourselves enough, if we read enough of the Bible, if we pray enough, if we give enough money, if we're a kind enough person, if we control our anger enough, maybe we can move ourselves from somewhere over here on the right to somewhere over here on the left, closer to the white part where God is. And what I just described is the vast majority of religion in the world. That that is how it works. That you conceive of yourself as somehow insufficient, somewhere on this trajectory, and then you work really hard to try to move yourself a little bit further. And that somewhere along that line, you'd be good enough, and God would be, you know what? You're good. You're good. We'll just round up, and we'll move you up over here to the white part. That is how the vast majority of religion works. Even those who would call themselves Christians... That is how the vast majority of the the world sees God and sees religion. And what John wants us to see is that we are absolutely wrong to see God in this way. See, John wants us to see that God is not just way better than us, but He is way different than us. We see ourselves in shades of sin and darkness and light. God is light in His essence, and in His essence, He has no fellowship with darkness. In Him there is no darkness at all. There's no sense that anything in Him meshes at all or lives on the same scale that we have. So it's more like if I were to have a candle up here. We had our Advent candles up here in December. If I were to have a candle up here, turn off all the lights in the room and light that candle. If I were to do that, that would be a better picture of what we're doing here. There's no shades of light. The candle gives off light. The flame gives off light. Light. And what it does when it gives off light is it fundamentally changes what is around it. The light and the darkness are are different things. One is the flame, one is the air that is around it. They are different things. And what's really cool is that if you light that candle and you see the flame that burns and how it gives light to all that is around it, that it can be bright enough to overcome all the darkness that surrounds it. You see, if I take that candle and then I turn it into a bonfire, it would light this room. And if I make it a big enough fire, it will give out all kinds of light. And what God is, is He is He is all light. God is light. There's no darkness at all. And so what happens is the darkness is, is exposed around Him. Because He... He is different than what is around him. Not shades of it, but he is different. So you see how this works. John is saying that Jesus is so utterly different that he can't even enter into that communion that we've been talking about, that fellowship with us because of this light, because there is no darkness. So this is what John is driving at when he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But then you keep on going and he says he says, <clears throat> he says, that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and we are not just. And it goes on talking about the sin that we have, how that disrupts that fellowship. It disrupts that communion that we have with Christ because we aren't light. So I, I labor through all of that to try to, to try to make this point. When John says God is light... When he says God is light, that is not warm and fuzzy. That is really, really bad news for us. That is very bad news for us. Because we aren't light. Because we do have darkness within us. Because we have walked in darkness. Because we have sin in us. And so God cannot have fellowship with us if we carry that darkness into our relationship with him. Do you see how that works? In him, there is no darkness at all. So I can't join with him in union if I bring darkness into that union. So this is bad news for us. When it says God is light and there is no darkness in him at all, you should read that as, "Uh uh-oh, that's a problem for me. That's a really big problem for me. His holiness is bad news for us if John stops writing right there. If there is not something done to create a way for God to fellowship with us, if there is not something done to expose the darkness in us, we are in trouble because we are excluded from His presence, excluded from His fellowship, and we are missing out on the healing power that comes with that light. Which is why verse 7 is so important for us this morning. Verse 7 relieves this massive problem that John has introduced in verse 6. It gives us a way to interact with God who is light. So verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, Jesus and how that impacts our relationship with God uh, next week but this morning I want to focus on this if we walk in the light I just want to I just want to live on that part of it the beginning of verse 7 if we walk in the light it's important for us to understand this because if we're not careful we're going to read this and we're going to see that word walk and we're going to think that what it's talking about is our behavior you see, this is how I've always understood this verse. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, well, my understanding of that is to mean if we do certain things and try our best to be like Jesus, if we move ourselves up on that scale of our color picker, right? If we move ourselves closer to the white, then we've got a better chance of being in fellowship with God. If we behave and we are obedient Christians, then we too can be in good standing. With God. John's going to have plenty to say here in this letter about how we live. But this right here is not so much about behaving as it is about exposing. You see, to be in the light is not to walk perfect. This is not calling us to walk this specific type rope and do everything just right. If that were the case, then John wouldn't have repeatedly talked about what we need to do when we sin. But he says that at least twice here in this passage. He talks about what do we do when we sin. So he's not saying walk perfectly, but when you don't walk perfectly, here's what happens. He's not trying to make the point, be perfect. It's not about behaving. Now light has many, many functions. But one of its primary ones is to reveal. To shine Into the darkness is to expose and to show something that could not be seen before. If you want to hide something, you keep the lights off. Hide and seek at a birthday party is not nearly as much fun at 2 o'clock in the afternoon as it is at 10 o'clock at night. It's better to play hide and seek at night because you can hide yourself better in the darkness. It's not as fun in the daytime because the daytime exposes what you're hiding. Walking in the light is about us bringing our sin to God and not following in the footsteps of Adam and Eve who, when they, when they sinned, the first response for them was to hide from God. When God came to call them into account, He found them hiding. So not hiding like Adam and Eve, but willfully confessing it. It's verse 9 says, to confess our sins to one another that's how you live in the light so if you want to live in the light as he is in the light if you want to be able to follow that path then what that means as is, is is that you come to god and you say this is who i am i'm not going to hide this stuff anymore Because the more you try to hide things, the more you try to keep things away, well, then you can't can't walk in the light. You don't give God the opportunity to expose that darkness. And if you are hiding sin, then that communion that we've talked about, that fellowship that we've talked about, that is disrupted by that sin that has been hiding. And so what John is saying is, come forward, bring that stuff forward, let God shine his pure light that is who he is on it, expose it, confess it, and then that fellowship can be restored again. This is how you live in the light. You cannot behave your way into the light, because no matter how well you behave, you bring that darkness with you. It takes transformation to get there. You let him put the light of who He is on the darkness of who you are, and that darkness is then overcome by Him. John chapter 1. He, 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 he takes and teases out here some of what He's already said in His Gospel. In John chapter 1, verse 1. I read this last week. I'll read it again with a different emphasis for us to look at. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. and Without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, this is our gospel hope. This is the good news we sing about. that Though our sins are many, though they are dark, they do not have the final word. That no matter what it is that you are hiding, no matter what it is that you have been covering up, no matter what it is that you are ashamed of, no matter what it is that has ruined your fellowship with God, no matter what you have done, if you bring it to God, the darkness is never overcome by the light. The light is never overcome by the darkness. Got that backwards. If you bring that to God, He will expose it. If you bring that forward and confess that, he will shine his light on That I've been trying to hide this from you and from everyone else and I need to give it over to you and I need your light to heal me and to bring me back into fellowship with you. This morning, latch on to that gospel hope. Latch on to that light and let it overcome any darkness that you might have inside you. Will you pray with me?